0: A lot of associations, they have apathy for one reason, and that is that the members have lost sight of the fact that we are better together than we are separately. And I preach that. We created in 2009, I was sitting in a movie theater. I go to movie theaters to watch the trailers because we do a lot of video stuff. So I like to see the different ideas of what to do in video. And I was sitting there going, what's going to be the rallying cry of the next decade for us to get members to really brand and want to be passionate? And the Army video came on and said, you know, they're strong, then there's Army strong. And I'm like, that's it. So I went home and we rebranded everything that you see in us says, we're not just strong, we're MTI strong.
1: This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure, and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story, and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Morrison, CEO of the Metal Treating Institute. Tom, welcome to the show.
0: Joanna, I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this ever since you asked me. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So, Tom, tell us about MTI.
0: So, MTI MTI is this amazing organization. It's in the manufacturing sector. So, our members heat treat metal to make it stronger, more flexible, long-lasting. So, if you could picture the landing gear on an airplane, raw metal would shatter at any level of compression or pressure if it's not heat treated at some level. And so the landing gear on an airplane is heat treated. So when it lands, those 180 people land safely and it takes all that pressure. The components inside your car, the gears that connect, those are heat treated because when the gears started to turn, if it wasn't heat treated, it would shatter. The springs inside your hair dryer have to be heat treated. So that's what makes it springy. So you look around your house when you're walking in life, everything you see that has metal or everything you see either had metal heat treated to make it or it was heat treated itself. And I tell everybody we're one of the few industries that impact your life from birth to death all day every day. That's what gives us great purpose. We know we're impacting your life every day all day.
1: Wow. Wait so Tom hang on, let me make sure I understand this. So metal, I think about metal and it's shaped and it's used in cars and you know appliances and all that, but you're saying that what your members do is they treat it. Why does heating metal change its value so that it's stronger or whatever it is?
0: Well, scientifically, it changes the molecular structure, what goes on inside a piece of metal. So that's what makes, and you you have to heat it for a certain period of time, cool it for a certain period of time, and then you put it in like oil or gas quench or salt quenches. And when it comes out and it dries and it's changing the structure. Now, there's two ways of doing it. Sometimes you're heating the actual part. She might heat treat, a fastener, the screw that goes into your house. When you push a, a Phillips head screw into a piece of wood and turn, 95% of the pressure is on the last quarter inch. And that's what they heat treat, right? Ah. The other way they heat treat is they'll heat treat large flat things of steel or big tubes of steel, because you don't know what that's going to be yet. They're just heat treating the steel to make it what it's going to be. And then it goes to the factory and then they cut the steel up and to be the actual piece that it's going to be.
1: Wow. Tom, you've got two kinds of members. You've got commercial heat treaters and captive heat treaters. Correct. What is the difference between those two types?
0: So basically, captive heat treaters are companies that have like Ford or General Motors or Boeing that have enough production and volume in their plant to do their own heat treating in-house. And then commercial heat treaters are our core member who, when they want to either have they need more capacity or they just, because the furnaces they heat treat in are worth millions of dollars. And you pay that. So some companies don't want to do any heat treating; they want to outsource all that. And I'll give you a simple example. Imagine the association with a lot of printing to do in their organization, whether it's brochures, letters, whatever. And they've decided, you know what? We're going to lease a copier and put it in our office. That's a captive heat treater. They're doing it in this out inside. Then there's other associations that say, you know what? We don't want to be in the copying business. We want to send it out to kinkos or whoever and let them do the copying for us. Kinkos is the commercial heat treater someone that's being paid to out, be outsourced to, and they deliver the good product back.
1: I see. Okay, so now I understand the analogy. Tom, give us some context. How many members do you have, and how big is this industry?
0: So we have 350 members in 39 states and six countries. The industry is roughly about $27 billion in North America, and our members represent about $1.5 billion of those sales. About $3 billion of that is done by commercial heat treaters, and the other $24 billion is done in-house. So it's a small niche industry. But when you think about what we're heat treating, landing gear on airplanes, parts and ladies' hair blow dryers, pieces in cars, it's a highly important industry to anybody that's connected to it.
1: Right. Hey, Tom, we're going to get into the things that MTI is doing to thrive and thriving you are. But let's talk about your journey first. So you've been CEO of MTI for almost 18 years. How did this happen? How did this come to be?
0: You know, I'm one of those interesting stories where I've only been a CEO and I've been in three different nonprofit groups and I've been the CEO of all three and never worked as the director of this or director of that. I was hired out of an insurance agency, came out of a divorce in my first marriage and was looking for a job. And this guy that had talked to this association that I didn't know about said, Tom, I think there's a group that I think wants your talents," And he didn't tell me what it was. So he made the call and said, hey, I think they want to talk to you. So I go in and talked, and the guy that was running it then was a five-year... He wasn't been there five years. He's the past president who was running it while they were searching. It took them five years to find, ultimately, me. I interviewed against four people who were way more qualified than I was, but they saw something in me they didn't see in everybody else. And they ended up hiring me. And I grew them for seven years, ended up leaving there, came to Jacksonville to be closer to my children after they moved to Jacksonville through their mom's second marriage. And I started a nonprofit there, and it became one of the largest... Gatherings of it was a singles ministry, a singles group, but I created a five hundred one c six so we could be able to collect funding from people, and so it was that for three years, and then I ran across MTI, and it came out of nowhere. I went to lunch with the current CEO, and we had known each other from engagement eight years prior, and he found out I moved to Jacksonville. We went to lunch, and I'm talking to him about financial planning because that's what I was actually doing at the time in between these this looking. And in the middle of the lunch, I said, Lance, it sounds like you're trying to hire me. He says, Tom, I, he says, I am. I go, why? He says, because I'm retiring in two years. See, I thought I was there to talk about his retiring in two years. He was talking more bigger of the picture. And he said, you're the guy that can lead us into the future. Ah. We're in a place to where our value proposition's hurting. We need technology-driven solutions. And he remembered eight years earlier, of me being in a room of 20 CEOs only being an executive for six months. And he says, no one shook you. You had great ideas. You talked to 20-year veterans like they were your best friend. And I'm like, that's the guy who's going to lead us into the future. You know, you heard the stories about someone writing a contract on a napkin. I grabbed my napkin and slid it. I said, write down what it means financially on that piece of paper, and I'll take it home to my wife. And he did. And I went back. And lo and behold, two weeks later, I was hired. Tom, you were born to be a CEO. I like to think that. I love to lead things. I love to invigorate, energize, and motivate people to create good with their life. Tom, let me
1: ask you a question. So three completely different organizations, what's been the thread that has helped you become a successful CEO of three really different organizations?
0: Passion. Somebody at the top has to be the plug and energy that when you plug into the association, you feel the passion and the energy. And I strive to not only be passionate with the board, because I've seen some CEOs that that's the only people they're really passionate with. And then nothing trickles down. I'm passionate with the person that only pays his dues. When I see him in a meeting, I make sure I go over and shake his hand and talk to him and say, we're here for you. We got a purpose for you. So I think it boils down to passion excitement, and hard work. I like to have an association that has a lot of energy behind it, and I try and create that with everybody from top to bottom.
1: How do you create energy within an organization that you've been leading for almost 18 years? How do you keep it fresh?
0: You do new stuff. You are always changing. And we don't change just to change. We change to meet members' needs. One of the things I do is we do MTI webcasts, live webcasts, so that I can be on screen talking to my members like we are here, and they can feel your passion and your energy, and what they're hearing is, yeah, that's a need of mine, and MTI's got a solution. So you have to just keep changing and meeting the needs. A lot of associations they have apathy for one reason, and that is that the members have lost sight of the fact that we are better together than we are separately. And I preach that we created in 2009. I was sitting in a movie theater. I go to movie theaters to watch the trailers because we do a lot of video stuff. So I like to see the different ideas of what to do in video. And I was sitting there going, what's going to be the rallying cry of the next decade for us to get members to really brand and want to be passionate? And the Army video came on and said, you know, there's strong, then there's Army strong. And I'm like, that's it. Ah. So I went home and we rebranded everything that you see in us says, we're not just strong, we're MTI strong. And it's on every letter, it's on every brochure, it's on every email signature. And I think that is the element that we really try and foster is that I want people to think they're weaker without us than with us. A lot of people don't like to have that attitude. I do, because if you don't get people to understand that they're weaker without you, they're never going to see you as powerful.
1: Tom, let's turn to MTI because you're doing so much and I hope we can get to everything that we want to talk about. One of the secrets to your success, you say, is that you respond quickly to member needs. Yes. So what does quick look like?
0: So let me show you what quick looks like. Two short stories. So when someone submits a job to a commercial heat treater, a captive who is going to want some heat treated for our members, there's a long list of things they need to have to do a professional quote and then be able to do the job right because they got industry specifications they got to submit, blueprints, all this stuff. And one of my members one day said, Tom, he emailed me and said, Tom, it would be great if we had a checklist that could be an industry standard that we could give our captive customers. And when they're looking to give us a purchase order, that they could go down this checklist and make sure they have all this stuff with the purchase order so we could eliminate tons of phone calls and follow up and do it right the first time. I'm like, that's awesome. Can you give me a, a draft? So he gave me a draft. I took that draft and got with four other members in a little task force sent it out to them. We reshaped it and put it together and came up with something that looked good and kind of could be used in general with any, no matter what heat treater you are. And boom, that was it. That was done. Posted on our website. We uh, did a short three-minute video to explain it and made it a page on our website and sent out to all our members. And now our members are using that piece. That took about three weeks to meet that need.
1: Wow.
0: The second one is, obviously, with commercial heat treating, there's lots of fire, lots of chemicals, lots of forklifts in a plant, lots of risk for injury. So getting business insurance has become a challenge for a lot of heat treaters. A lot of big insurance companies are writing them off because they don't understand the risk. They're increasing their renewals at a great rate. We were talking about this and we heard about this in our online community. So what do we do? I got on Zoom with six of our members and asked them a bunch of questions about, so tell us how safety is a priority in your plant. What are the key things that you do to suppress fire and to keep fires from happening? So I went through this long list of questions. We took the video clips, sent it to our video team at Association Studios, and they pieced it together for a two and a half minute educational video that any of our members can give to their insurance agent and or their insurance carrier looking at them as a risk to show them and educate them on how they go about making their place with risk assessment and risk management and risk mitigation. And members have loved it. That process took about 30 days to meet that need. We don't walk when it comes to meeting our members' needs. We run.
1: Tom, this is really quite outstanding. I mean, I work with some organizations where it's months just to schedule a meeting. Right. (laughs) You know, and another six months to get approvals from the board, and the board has to think about it. How do you get the staff and the board, probably more importantly, to sign off on things like this? How do you get them moving fast?
0: One of the biggest downfalls of a lot of associations is the CEO does not meet with their executive committee often enough. I meet with my executive committee every first Wednesday of the month for a solid hour. So over the years, Joanna, I've really gotten my board to buy into this thing I called cut. I use it in my keynotes about change. Cut stands for change is constant. And a lot of people say, well, Tom, change has always been constant. Change was never constant a decade ago when it took like years for change to actually impact you. Today. Change is constant because it's impacting you at a rapid pace. U is a sense of urgency. It's imperative that we have a sense of urgency with change because if we don't do it, someone else is, or so the industry is just going to pass us by. And T is time. We don't have the luxury of time. We can't take a year to approve this. A simple example is Worker BTV with Dan Stevens' team. They've got this great workforce development program called Jobs of Tomorrow. It's a six-figure investment. It took us one task force four months and one board meeting to approve that job to tomorrow project. And now we're deep into making that thing happen, to make it reality for our workforce development structure. And so my board really believes in that element of change is constant, it's urgency, and we don't have the luxury of time. And, you know, you may be thinking, well, how do you, what's your process of approving things? Well, we look through the lens of something I developed years ago called alive, bringing your engagement alive, and that engages recruitment and retention And so A stands for ask the right questions. When you're looking at your members, you ask the right questions. L means you listen intently. I means you innovate. Once you've asked, you've listened, then you innovate. V is for value creation. And then E is you execute with excellence. I tell people, if you do the alive concept, you can't go wrong because it includes everything of listening to acting to innovating to executing with excellence.
1: That's amazing. Tom, you say that you've got a secret to working with the board, and it starts with making sure that they know that the problem exists. Because oftentimes, boards kind of defer making decisions. When I work with organizations, when the chief exec and the staff and the board are really working together, well, man, there's nothing stopping these organizations. So, what's your secret?
0: I think I do a good job of giving the board all the information for any particular decision. The president gives them time to banter it, but they get to see data, the problem, the causes, the effects, and we don't ever choose a solution that someone else is already doing effectively. We don't ever. We do things that's not being done or in a different way that can be effective. But I give them all the data they need. I present doing nothing, and I present what the potentials of doing nothing is, and then I present what actually taking steps are and what actions we could have and what the impact could be if we do something I've just been very fortunate. I've got a board year in and year out who's always excited about doing something and not doing nothing.
1: Tom, I love this because now they see the cost of doing nothing. Instead of here's a decision, I can make the decision whenever I want to. You're basically saying there's a cost to not making this decision.
0: Yes, well, the cost is always we lose relevance, someone else does it, or we fall behind the uh, the fast-paced moving business climate.
1: Tom, there's another thing that you innovated quickly to create, and that is something that you call the industry support team, which I'm totally fascinated by. Can you tell us about this?
0: Yeah. So the industry support team, you know, like many small associations, we don't have the budget to hire these eight different people, like a safety manager, a HR manager, a cybersecurity manager. We don't have the funds to do that. But what we do do is we have eight highly qualified business consultants that work with our members. And so years ago, we used to call them business consultants. Well, when people say business consultants, you think, ah, there's somebody that wants to check our business out and probably sell us something, right? I was always looking for a way to change that wording. And one day, I think it was about 2010, I was at the annual conference with Robert Barnes at ASAE. Robert Barnes used to be the CFO of Fitness Australia, and we used to talk all the time. And so when I was talking to Robert He mentioned that his industry support team really helps his members do these certain things. I'm like, wait a minute, what's the industry support team? He goes, it's consultants that we call our industry support team because our members receive it much clearer. And they're like, man, they're here to help, not here to sell.
1: And they're not staff.
0: No, they're not staff. They're not staff. They're just business consultants in eight key areas that we call our industry support team. And our members, they're listed on our website with their emails and phone numbers and what they do. And then our members can freely call them and say, hey, I'm Tom Morrison from uh, ABC Heat Treat Company. I saw you on the list of MTI, and I got an issue I'd like to discuss with you. And all of them offer up a free consultation call. And then if they want to engage services to help them, that's when they actually charge them something. But they're all available for free for someone to call up and just talk about an issue.
1: Tom, I love this because I went onto the website and I looked at the industry support team and I thought, wow, this is amazing. As a member, I can talk to someone about cybersecurity issues I can talk to someone about purchasing issues, about energy issues. You've basically said, here are resources to you as members.
0: Yeah, we do a web a live webcast with any one of them periodically. We do one, two live webcasts a, a year, which is like a news reporting kind of thing. And it's about 30 to 45 minutes. And we feature industry experts. But we also tap into our industry support team on a hot issue like energy or cybersecurity at any given time to just really keep our members on the front edge of what they need to know.
1: Hey, let's turn to something different. You've got your annual conference coming up. You call it the Fall National Meeting. It's your 90th anniversary. What are you doing different this year to make it special?
0: I look good for 90, Donna.
1: You look amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we're just trying to make this really special. So, And this goes back to being innovative to raise money as well. I know you and Bruce Rosenthal and Terry and Nandu Palooza talk about this all the time. And so we were sitting around a staff meeting. To answer your question, immediately what we're doing different is we're hosting theme nights Hmm. and having a live concert. So, the El Conquistador Hotel in Tucson has this outside the hotel. It's a beautiful little country western town that's built right on property. Looks like a Clint Eastwood movie happening. Fun. Opening night is going to be the Wild, Wild West theme. Everybody's going to be decked out in their cowboy hats, boots. And at the end of that night, after dinner, we've got a Nashville recording artist, Garrett Spear, who's amazing, who's going to do a live concert right as dessert begins to finish up for 75 minutes and really top the opening night off with a live concert. It's going to be incredible. And then the last night thing we were established in the 1930s, we used a bunch of budget to deck out one whole room to be a speakeasy. Oh. And everybody's going to be coming dressed in the 1930s speakeasy, great Gatsby outfits. And that's going to be our opening reception. And then we'll go to the dinner room and then we'll come back. The hospitality suite is going to be the big speakeasy with jazz music playing. So One of the big things we did we'd never done is host theme night. Our members don't need themes to connect. Our meetings are always fun, but we thought, let's do something different. So everybody's just jumped into the themes. So it's been great. But going back to the sponsorship thing and non-news revenue and hear me, listen in, whoever's listening and how we did this. So my staff were sitting around and we wanted to make sure we had more than enough money to do these big expenditures. And one of my staff members goes, Tom, what if we have... Because I wanted to make storyboards around our general session room. There's going to be 13 storyboards that tell the beginning of MTI and set 13 different storyboards. And they go, Tom, what if we put someone's logo different on each storyboard and we, the amount of money that you invest is $1,933, which is the year we were born? Uh-huh. And I'm like, that is freaking awesome. We listed everything we could do for them as the sponsorship on the sponsor that we thought would be interesting and value proposition for them. We put it out. We had 10 sponsorships we wanted to sell. We sold 10 of them in seven days.
1: Wow. And
0: came up with $19,330 to be able to spend on the speakeasy and, and the natural artist and the, the other things that we wanted to do to make this such a special, awesome night.
1: So you were able to get the sponsorships to make it a different type of an event. Absolutely. Wow. Tom, you are doing so much that we can't cover. You've got business intelligence programs. You've got a leadership academy. You've got all kinds of things. How is the organization doing and how's membership?
0: So the organization is very strong. I mean, when I do talks, the keynotes on how to build a growing association, the funny graph I show is this graph that just got the slow, cordial growth. Our membership is only about 8% more than it was in 2006 when I got there. But our net reserves, Joanna, between our association and our foundation is grown over 2,700%. (gasps) Wow. So the membership graph grows Gradually, our net worth grows tremendously because we figured out how to get our members to spend money that they were spending outside of us to spend it inside to do the same thing. And our trade show that we have has been a big push in that endeavor as well. So the association is very strong financially, and it's very strong from a membership standpoint when it comes to that.
1: Tom, you gave me a just staggering statistic during our prep. You said that 80% of your members are active. What does that mean and how do you measure this amazing number?
0: So one of the things we did in 2006, Joanna, as a board is we did an exercise that I think every association should do. The prominent two things that people call as value with an association is going to the meetings and advocacy, being engaged in specifications or writing your government officials. Well, I mean, if you got 20% of your members coming to your meetings, you're doing great. So 80%, that's not value for them. Right, And I would bet at least 70% of a lot of organizations, they just don't like the government process. They just like, you know what? They're going to do what they're going to do. I'm not writing them. Right. So let's call that 70%. So if 30% of your members are engaged in advocacy and meetings, well, guess what? 70% is doing nothing. Right. They're dues paying members. So what's the value to them? So what I did, I did a process where we said, you know what? Well, let's assume that all of our members hate meetings and they hate writing legislators. What's left? And for us, we had maybe one thing that was a big deal. So we immediately began to form our industry support team members that could solve problems. We came up with things like online training. We developed an online strategy and value proposition that was just as good for the people who didn't attend meetings as those that did. And that's why you see that big growth in our graph because we've gained members and we've also had people spending more money with us and training in other areas. And it's been awesome to watch that take place.
1: So what you've been able to do is grow the association, but more importantly, really grow the engagement and the participation in the organization so that they're just attending more events and spending more money with you.
0: Absolutely. And the key behind it all, Joanna, is measuring your engagement. So we have 13 touch points that are basically member benefits of things they take advantage of, things they purchase, meetings they come to, or if they volunteer. So there's 13 and we track those in our AMS. And about once a quarter, I'll download that entire to his Excel spreadsheet. I love when people measuring engagement says, should they get more points for being a board member than someone that takes comes to a meeting or I'm like, no, everybody gets one point for each thing. And so when I get the points in, I add them up and then sort them by largest to smallest. And anybody that's in five or more events, we consider highly active. Anybody that's one to four are somewhat active, and anybody that's zero is not active. We have 83% of our members are active in at least one or more of our programs, and 17% are not. And so we pay attention really close to two key people, because there's two members you're always susceptible to losing. One is your largest members, because they're obviously making enough money to say, what are you doing for me that I can't do for myself? So you got to make sure you pay attention to them, especially. And then the members that do nothing but pay you dues and get your newsletter, You know, Marketing General says that 67% of members that don't renew say it's because of lack of engagement. Engagement is my mantra, man. That's been my passion since I came to MTI.
1: So, Tom, if I'm a really large member of MTI, how are you engaging with me so that I continue to find relevance?
0: So it costs a lot of money to do professional development for an association for any organization. I mean, you're talking five to $6,000, 10,000 just to send your person to a master's degree style professional development. Well, MTI in 2007 created what we call our Yes Management Training Program. And we've got a number of our larger members and it's four sessions, February, May, August, and our fall meeting. They graduate It's plant tours, a day and a half of training on how, how to build a high performing team, how to be a high performing leader and then emotional intelligence in the workplace, and how to apply those concepts into daily business. I'd say, in my opinion, I've seen a bunch of them. I think it's the best management training program in all of manufacturing. Wow! And so they tap into us for things like that. Plus, they're tapped into us for our financial forecasting. We do financial forecasting that a member, big or small, would have to spend about 40 grand to get the data and do it themselves. So that's an immediate benefit right there.
1: And you make sure they know about these benefits.
0: Oh, absolutely. Every quarter, we do a live webcast with our economic forecasting team called ITR Economics, who unpack the numbers behind the numbers. And they're really into that.
1: Tom, if I'm a small member, or even if I'm a medium sized member and I just haven't been doing anything with you, how do you get me to do something? This is like the $64 million question, right?
0: Yeah. So we're about to do that in a small way. We got about 30% of our members come to our two national meetings. So we use prop fuel to do our question asking. So at the end of this meeting, we're doing two things. We're going to the members that don't come to our meetings and saying, Joanna, how would you like content? We noticed you haven't come to a meeting in over three years. How would you like content to be sent to you? Video, print, email, how you want it. And then what would you like that content to be? So you have the value to help your business. The second thing we're doing is the meeting world's changing. So it's getting more expensive to go to these four and five star resorts. So we're going to our members that do go to the meetings and saying, hey, things are rising. You've seen costs in your business is rising. Well, you've been on vacation. Hotels are going up. To help keep us at these nice locations that you go to for our meetings, what would be the top-end rate that you would say is too expensive? We're really big on getting our members' input to help us guide ourselves to hit the target. You know, a lot of associations post things on online forums with ASAE and state SAEs trying to look for those answers, and that's helpful. But I want my members to tell me.
1: Ah. Because
0: if they tell me what the problems are and I deliver, they're going to jump in.
1: And they're going to say, wow, MTI is listening.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Tom, before we go, speaking of prop fuel and Dave Will, you've got a podcast with Dave. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah. So Dave Will is great, man. I love hanging with that guy. We became good friends back in 2009 when we met at an ASAE meeting and we really topped it off at a what we call the YAP party, Young Association Professionals thing that I helped create at ASAE that was outside of ASAE. And and so we got together and we've been friends ever since. And so about a year and a half ago, we began to talk about this whole engagement thing, the big deal. And PropFuel is all about engagement. Engagement is my mantra. I love it. Yes. And so we did a 45-minute webcast. It was well-attended on my alive strategy of the ask, listen, innovate, value, and execute. And it got great reviews. And so Dave said, Tom, why don't we podcast this thing? So I was like, let's do it. So we created a podcast called AssociationStrong.com. Going back to Joanna, remember I said, there's strong, there's MTI strong? Yes. Well, I always end it going, "There's strong. And then there's Association Strong. So we created this. And what's great about me and Dave is we really tackle, Dave's the seasoned entrepreneur. He has sold a company, built a very successful second one. He comes at it from the entrepreneurial spirit of a for-profit entity. I come at it from the entrepreneurial spirit of a nonprofit executive. And so Dave and I believe on the opposite end of the spectrum of how to do a lot of stuff.
1: Mm. So
0: it's really fun banter back and forth. We always tell the guests, the number one thing you're going to see in our podcast is Tom and I fight for attention over you. Ah.
1: Well, Tom, I've listened to quite a few of the podcast episodes, and you are absolutely right. They're very entertaining and very educational. And I love the banter between you and Dave.
0: Awesome. Well, Joanna, I've had a great time here and I've heard great things about Association Thrive. And um, I know people are learning lots of stuff. I I don't think there can be enough podcasts because change is happening so fast. I think you should be listening to every podcast you can to learn the greatest things that you can to make the change that can help your board make good decisions for the future.
1: 100%. Tom, I want to thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for sharing everything that you have. And I hope you'll come back.
0: Joanna, I sure you make the invite. I will be there. Thank you so much for being on here.
1: Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.